Welcome to another edition of The Ref Pod with me, Wayne, and the two Goaty brothers. And we have a special um, special episode today. We're going to... Um, this one kind of come out of the blue, really, uh, when we knew that we were get, getting this guy on. Uh, a special episode. Interview him the day before the Champions League. I bet he's hoping he doesn't get used on it, but we all love it when we turn to this guy on the telly to get his expert opinion on why your team's not been awarded a penalty. So <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure for me to introduce Peter Walton to the ref pod today. So, Peter, thank you for joining us, mate. How are you doing? Well, I was fine until that nice introduction, so <laughs> I'm, I'm OK, thank you. Thanks for the invite. Um, again, one of Mr Cassidy's uh, protégés, I suppose, and uh, it was a phone call that you take and you think, oh, no, what's behind this? But um, I'm glad to be here, so thank you. No, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure, Peter, to have you on. I know you're a busy man, and like Wayne said, you know, we, we recording this, you know, 24 hours before uh, the Champions League final, which I know you're a busy man, but all, all your preparations and what you're doing, just to explain to our listeners and viewers that we first met when we were both referee coaches at the FA, and you were still on the on the Premier League then, and and a lot of a lot of people don't realise that you know re- referees are into helping and giving back, and what I loved about you is that you were still committed to going to grassroots games and supporting referees at level three, level four, even though you were an active Premier League referee. And it, uh, that was always a, um, a big thing for me with you, Pete, and you're always so dedicated to it and really good at it too. Well, if you think um, of what my wife would say, she said that it's a 24-hour job, even though you're not being paid. It's just one of those things, you know. Um, once you get involved in refereeing, um, every referee is the same. We all take the same exam. We all pass the same exam. And then we, we go some varying routes after that. So when I see young lads and when I see old men refereeing games, um, it's the same game. So you get that buzz about it. And I do remember those Halcyon days, Martin, way back with the FA when we were both coaches. And uh, I, at least you'd got some idea what to do. I hadn't got a clue what to do, to be honest with you. All I was doing was just trying to help um, my little set of uh, referee uh, referees along the way. And um, yeah, as you quite rightly said there, I was still operating on the, on the Premier League as a, as a, uh, as a referee. And uh, one thing I, I found difficult was to, to see my guys in action because I'd always be refereeing on a, uh, on a Saturday. So every Tuesday, every Wednesday, I'd find myself in some, some corner of them, um, well, it was East Anglia those days, um, some corner of East Anglia watching, watching a game of football. And it was a real, a real great, you know, good, good time for me because it, it exposed me to what I'd class as proper football. And that is, um, I think everybody who referees games at grassroots levels understands that term. Grassroots is a proper football and that's where people do it not for financial game, not for a living, but for passion. And that was coming out of my group. So I enjoyed my diet days as a, an FA coach, that's for sure. No, you, you're really good and really well respected. And it's always stuck in me how committed you were to it. And and then people might not know is that um, how much work you did with the, with the MLS. And obviously, you know, being sort of pretty influential in, in that is an, an understatement of what you did there. And then when you did leave, part of your role was introducing Howard Webb. Is that true? Yes, yes. Yeah. So just to give you a quick uh, appraisal of where it happened, uh, it was 2012 when I was still refereeing on the Premier League and I can remember we was at our training camp 
and I had a phone call um, in my in my um, bedroom, and it was from some some Italian lady who I didn't know, and um, she asked me um, how I was, and I thought, well, who is this? And uh, and then she said, would I be interested in a uh, possible uh, opportunity in the world of soccer? Now, who in their right minds calls football <laughs> soccer? And, and I said to her, well, well, yes, because at the time, um, it should have took two or three hours to recover from games. It was taking two or three days to recover from games. So this was an ideal opportunity. And I said, well, yes. And, and, that, and she said, OK, could I pass your contact details on to my client? And then that was it. And that was the last I heard of this Italian lady. I have no idea where she is now in the world. Um, and then a few days later, I had a phone call from um, uh, an executive at Major League Soccer. And um, he basically said, look, you know, we're looking to uh, create a new organisation. And that organisation would loosely be based on what we have here in England, the PGMOL. And um, would I be interested in coming over to the States to talk about it? And so I took the opportunity and went there. And uh, yeah, they, uh, that was in 2011. In 2012, I was offered the role as the first general manager of what we all know now as the Professional Referees Organization, which is basically a very similar operation uh, to what we have here in England. And the, uh, the difference being, of course, that um, Professional Referees Organization is funded by Major League Soccer, US Soccer, and the Canadian Soccer Association. Um, as, as the uh, PGOL is here, it's funded by the, the Premier League, the FA, and the English Football League. So um, it was a similar thing. I went over there in, in April. I refereed my last game in the Premier League, actually, on the, when was it? About the 31st of March, 2012. That was Everton versus West Brom. And uh, went out at Goodison Park. And the reason I went out at Goodison Park, Martin, by the way, was because when the Premier League asked me, you know, what game would I like as my last game, uh, I chose Goodison Park. And uh, a lot of people said, why on earth are you going to Everton? You know, mid-table team versus West Brom, who were also at the time a mid-table team. And it was because I'd got a, um, a liking for Everton as a schoolboy. But I used to love refereeing at Goodison Park. It was a true... Um, supporters stadium where the words of encouragement and observations didn't start from behind the goal they actually started from the director's box so everybody <laughs> knew about the game there and so I went there yeah I uh, did my last game against West Brom and uh, that was on the Saturday went home on the Sunday flew to New York on the Monday so I never really had a sort of down period from the game and uh, I went out there, yeah, uh, and started this organisation. I actually started the Professional Referees Organisation, Martin, on the on the back of a cigarette packet no. um, on the aircraft going over there. Um, I, 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 I didn't got any, any paper for whatever reason. And um, uh, it, it was like a, a bag that used to wrap cigarettes in. I don't smoke, by the way. It was just that I found it in the air, in the uh, in the lounge. So I scoped out the, um, the first um, images of what a, an organisation that ran professional refereeing um, looked like. 
on the back of a piece of paper going across in the aircraft. So, yeah, I can, and and just to go on a little bit, I can remember um, my first morning at, uh, at Major League Soccer's offices. The reason, by the way, it was in Major League Soccer's offices was because um, we had no offices because we didn't have an organization. Uh, US Soccer asked me if I'd like to work from Chicago, where their head offices are, or uh, work from New York, where uh, Major League Soccer's offices were. And I, I opted for Major League Soccer because I thought that would be my, my prime um, uh, client in all this, in terms of servicing with referees. And I wanted to be next to where the operation was. In hindsight, that was the wrong decision, but that's what I wanted to do. So I was in New York, and uh, first morning, I walked down Fifth Avenue, and I thought, what the hell am I doing here? You know, uh, <laughs> I'm a kid from the Outbacks of Northamptonshire, and here I was with my little briefcase walking down Fifth Avenue to the offices. And I got there, and I went into this, the, the big palatial offices, Major League Soccer, that have been there. Um, but my office, was a windowless little cupboard almost. And um, I, I sat in there on my, own, on my own, and a guy who I knew from the interview times, he came in and uh, he'd got a tray of stationery in front of him, holding this tray of stationery. And I said to him, okay, I said, look, it's a Monday morning. Uh, the season has begun because the season in, in America runs from sort of February through to November. So the season was already operating. So it's a Monday morning. What do we do? And he said, anything you like, you're the boss. <laughs> and that really hit home to me then that actually there was <laughs> no infrastructure at all. There was because U.S. soccer, who had ran the operation before I arrived, um, literally withdrew their services. And, and it was down to me then. So, so yeah, can I ask you a lead on to that? Challenges of, of um, referees over there compared to here were they pretty similar or were the different challenges based on I'm trying to think back to that time say it was 2012 when Beckham just coming to end of his time I know it was starting to to get big around that time but when I I mean I, I watched it when Beckham was over there because I was really interested in Beckham when Gerard went over there but now not so much I don't think it's on Sky anymore um, and there wasn't kind of I didn't feel anyway maybe not on the pitch but in the stands, there wasn't quite the intensity that you, you kind of see in a, a, a Premier League or a, a European game, let's say. So, was the was the challenges for referees the same, or were they slightly different over there? Yeah, there, there were challenges all, all round. And um, one of the big challenges that I faced when I went to America was one of expectation. The Americans um, they own the uh, the league in terms of the uh, the clubs. They're franchised out. There's no relegation. There's no promotion. And that's a business model that they've ran for a number of years over their other professional sports, NFL, baseball, basketball. Um, and that was a, an expectation was that um, almost overnight they would have world-class referees. Um, what they were having was a, a gradual increase in the playing standards, certainly a, a major increase in the infrastructure there for stadiums and things. When it came to the managers and the tactics, they were closely monitoring what was happening in the world from their technical division. So they were advancing in that. But what they had in refereeing was 
an amateur base because US soccer were just treating them as, as, as amateurs. And um, the, the workforce of referees who worked Major League Soccer prior to pro being established meant they would collectively come together once a year. Well, that really wasn't a great deal, you know, to do in terms of education and training. And that was down to finances, that was down to organisation, uh, and that was down to the levels of understanding. So suddenly the ownership of major league um, teams, when they were funding a refereeing programme, they thought that they were going to get, you know, world-class referees almost overnight just because. And I can remember standing up at a, at a, um, a governor's meeting, as they called it there, where all the clubs were represented by their ownership group. And I used the analogy that sort of left the room quiet. I, I said to them, I don't have the ability to go into Walmart and pick a can of ready-made refereeing up off the shelf and bring it to you tomorrow. It doesn't happen that way. And almost to a man, they're aghast at what I was saying because they thought if they could throw a million dollars at something, they'd get it overnight. And I said, no, refereeing doesn't work like that. It's a culture. You'll have to wait. So then the commissioner charged me with making Major League Soccer referees and assistants or match officials world class by 10 years. That was 2012. And dare I say, call me whatever you like, but in 2022 at, uh, at the, the World Cup, um, America sent the most officials over into that World Cup of any country. Really? So, yeah, so did, yeah. Did I wow. did I did I achieve my my set out? Who who knows? But but certainly that oh, was God. a decision that the, the commissioner wanted me to to create, and and we got there in the end. Um, so and we can talk for ages on Major League Soccer because it went mm. from nothing through to where we are now. Going back to your original question, though, I know um, when it comes to um, uh, atmospheres and uh, and support. You know, England, uh, UK have had uh, ref uh, have had football for 125 years or so. You know, uh, 1994 when the World Cup was held in America, FIFA um, uh, awarded America the World Cup on the basis that they would have a internal domestic football league um, by the end of 1996. And in 1996, Major League Soccer was created. So it's only 20-odd years old now. So you know, by de facto, you're not going to get that plethora of support. But what you do get, because America is a country of immigration, is a huge sway of support that are not necessarily American um, by their first blood, but they are American because they live there. And, and that's already coming on. They have huge crowds. Seattle sell out every week, 60,000 supporters. Um, uh, LA Galaxy, uh, LAFC, New York uh, Red Bulls, New York City. These are, are, are drawing you know, major attendances. You mentioned the, uh, the TV deal as well. Yeah, we did see it for a fleeting time with Sky. But Major League Soccer decided not to go with Sky. Um, it was their decision. What they said was, no, no, we want a bigger audience in this. So they now have a multi-year deal with Apple TV. 
And oh. as we as we all know, with Amazon streaming and other areas of that nature, not necessarily the go-to TV, but one for the um, the youngsters and one for the future. So they have this massive uh, agreement with the with Apple. And then um, just to conclude, when you mentioned that Martin about um, uh, Howard going over there, yeah, 2017. I can talk for ages, by the way, on VAR because Major League Soccer had a major influence in VAR and its um, and its adoption um, into the Russian World Cup in 2018. Yeah. In 2017, we I knew that my tenure was coming to an end. Um, I'd signed for a two-year deal and uh, my wife um, stayed in England. Um, she used to fly over and I used to fly back, of course, but she knew what um, what a work ethic would be. So she said, well, you go over there and do what you need to do and I'll stay here and look after various bits and bobs. That deal for two years then morphed into three to four to, four, to five years and she said to me, you've got to come home now. You know, so... so um, <laughs> And that that was that was that. So I, I knew that my <coughs> my tenure was 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 up almost. And um, Howard and I go back um, a number of years. In fact, we, we both got onto the Premier League at the same same intake in two thousand two two thousand three. So um, I made a phone call to Howard, um, who was working for I think it was the Saudi Arabians at the time. Yeah, he was yes, Howard. And, and asked him, you know, would he be interested and. We met somewhere in the world and um, discussed various things. And, and yeah, so so Howard came over, but he didn't come over as the general manager. He came over to implement our VAR program. So he became the VAR manager. And between us, we implemented the, uh, the program um, into, into the domestic uh, competition, uh, as well as assisting putting it into the Russian World Cup in 2018. And then 2018, that was the right time for me to sort of come home um, and uh, and Howard took on the role as the general manager over in, in, in America and, and he took it on from there, you know, absolutely right. And, and that was the right time because you need freshness, you need that change. He took it on. And as I said earlier in the conversation, 2022, America provided the most officials for the World Cup. So a um, bit of a whistle stop tour there, but that's where we are now. Oh, that's good. And I, th I think just to just to push it forward, because I know obviously we are, we are on a strict limit with you today. I just want to come to Martin, just to come at you about I mean, Andy Amblo on the beginning of this week. Uh, the pod has just gone live. Um, Martin, I, I know you wanted to ask um, Peter about the couple of things that uh, Andy had told us about what's coming in. And it'd be good to get his thoughts, I think, on, on that. I know we briefly chatted about it before we came on. So I think that'd yeah. be a good way to go, really. Yeah, it was, it was good, and and that's one of the things I wanted to talk about, the MLS with you, and particularly Howard, and the positive influence, I don't think you get credit for, Pete, of how you changed, developed VAR and all that in America, that Howard took on and took to another level. Amazing achievements with, with the refereeing development over there as well. It's something I don't think you get anywhere near enough credit for, but what we were talking to um, Andy Amber about, and he was giving us a couple of exclusives, which is, which is brilliant, is, is about um, releasing the conversations that go on with the VAR and they might be doing it in the, uh, I think it's under 21 World Cup and the women's 20, World Cup. Under 20, 20, under 20, and the women's World Cup. Thanks so we spoke about uh, Howard doing it on Sky Sports, didn't on we? Sky no. as well, yeah. yeah. So what's your take on all that about the conversations and and what goes on there within, you know, active play? Do you think yeah. it'll help? Well, um, we introduced that in Major League Soccer a few years ago now. And um, 
what we found was that um, journalists and the media, um, they only have so much uh, time to, um, to, to show various clips and on their programmes and the, the media only have so many inches on their columns to write. So why didn't we then force the narrative uh, rather than leaving them to fill the vacuum? So we gave them the information and said, look, this is what happens. It's no, it's not rocket science. It's not skullduggery. There's nothing hidden about it. We've got nothing to hide. And so um, Howard and I decided that um, we would uh, allow this information. We are governed, of course, by what we can do with, with IFAB and FIFA, who are the lawmakers. So we, we make sure we, we don't um, um, cross any bridges that we shouldn't. So we, we started that. And what we found almost overnight were that the journalists and the public um, sided on the side of the referees because they understood where they were coming from and they understood the rationale behind it. Sometimes they didn't agree with it. That's fine. But at least we'd uh, create that debate and have a good platform to defend ourselves if, if we needed to defend ourselves. What Howard has done when he's come over to England is um, one of transparency to say, look, you know, we've got nothing to hide. You know, this is this is not uh, anything to to do just because I like Liverpool, that Liverpool should get a penalty every game. It's nothing to do with that. Um, what we have to be careful, of course, is that not everybody um, is equally as comfortable in front of a camera or in front of a microphone. And that's really important. It's horses for courses. So before we start releasing too much detail in too much um, a quantity, we have to make sure that A, the person who's saying that or suggesting it feel comfortable with it, and B, that they have that support in line to help them along the way. In, in, uh, in America, what we introduced was what we call a reporter's um, question. And that was, if there's something happened in the game, a send-off, uh, a penalty kick, or something controversial, we would allow a reporter to ask a question and then a subsequent question to the match referees within 30 minutes of the game ending so that the referees have the ability to come and explain why they did something or why, why they didn't straight away so the press had got something to actually work on rather than conjecture or rather than make it up themselves. If the, if the referee felt uncomfortable with um, giving an answer to that particular question, then he got a support mechanism in place where he could phone you know, me or an executive or somebody in the establishment who would give that answer on their behalf. So we wasn't asking an individual to put himself in or herself into a, an uncomfortable position. But what we wanted to do was to ensure that we had got the front foot in terms of giving an explanation. And, and, and that, that, um, that worked really well. And that may be something that we, you know, we introduced here in England. I don't know. You know, it's not my decision, but it certainly helped us in explaining. So you didn't have match of the day coming on on a Saturday night saying, well, we think this is what happened, blah, 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 and getting mm -hmm. it totally wrong. And because you only have one chance at that first impression. So we were trying to get uh, ahead of the curve, as they say, and, and give that first impression straight away. That worked. Whether or not it work here, I, I don't know. But going back to the, 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 the question, I think that Howard um, has started um, opening that box and, and that box will be opened even further as we go along. In terms of um, hearing the voice of the, the um, uh, video assistant referee, talking to the referee in real time, that is a, an IFAB decision, a FIFA decision. We can't do that at the moment. But certainly post-game, I don't see any issues about allowing that. Um, after uh, a little bit of support from 
the, the management team in terms of what you say on air, how you explain yourself, uh, and, and and making sure that you're not using some slang uh, wording that maybe the public don't understand. So yeah, there's a little bit of um, ironing out to do, but I don't see it as an issue in the future. What 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 an absolute crazy insight to it what it is and. We, we've said this on every podcast since, since it was said that um, Howard's used this expression and he pulling back the curtains to have a look in. And I think it's clear that's, that's what he's, he's doing. And of course, he can evidence having that positive behaviour and relationship with the press because you did it in America and you've seen it and even with that culture, how positive it welcome. And I think having this, I think fans have been felt a little bit disenfranchised from the game because they don't know what's going on and you know, I think it's going to be such a positive move. It might not get it immediately in the stadium, but I think that's the destination, isn't it? Yeah, look, when, when again, going back to a bit of history, when, when VAR was first thought of and when we started uh, looking at it, uh, we were doing it with, uh, along in parallel with the Dutch authorities and with the German authorities and with IFAD themselves. Um, this, uh, the, the element of explanation, the element of um, exposing the... Uh, the rationale behind it to the public wasn't really thought of. It was all about making sure that we got the hand of God out of the game. That's what VAR was for. Um, subsequent to that, because of its take-up, because of its universal appeal, because of its success, um, you know, we now need to sort of start looking to how do we um, bring along the support and bring along the media with this technology. We're not going to suddenly stop using the technology now. So we have to have a way of people, A, understanding it and B, supporting it. And that's sort of stage two. And I think that's where we are with the, um, the development of VAR. It's only sort of five years down the line or six years down the line. So it's a really you know, early tool here, but there's clearly paths to be looked at in terms of explaining and getting people on board even more. Were you, were you in favour of VAR before they brought in? Were you kind of in the, yes, I want it, or no, I don't want it, camp, from a referee perspective? I, I was definitely in the, uh, yes, I want it, camp. Yeah. Um, and I, I, if I put my practitioner's hat on, we have assistant referees on the field of play. We have fourth officials, and all four of us have to get a decision, not necessarily correct, but make sure we don't make real howlers. This was just an extension of it by using technology that was out there already. We wasn't reinventing the wheel, it was there already. And as a referee, if you gave me that insurance policy, I would have been so much more happy with it. I can do it, I can remember when we first received the, um, the headsets, the, uh, the, the communication headsets that you have, and you talk to one another. That was a real breakthrough. Uh, going back to Goodison Park, actually, um, my first game with these headsets was used at Goodison Park. And it was just, I felt so much more comfortable knowing that I could speak to my assistant in a crowd of 40,000 people and hear him or her as clear as a bell to understand uh, decision making and understand maybe what's coming next. So that was a real help for me. And as a referee, I felt much more relaxed. I think with VAR, provided the education and training is sufficient and well rehearsed, you'd go into the field feeling a little bit more comfortable in the knowledge that if you were in a wrong position to give a, a decision or not to give a decision, or you gave a decision that you didn't see um, or you didn't, someone's going to pick it up in your team. When we actually looked at what do we name these people, um, 
it was David Ellery who said, uh, well, they're, they're assistants. And we sat in a room in New Jersey and we said, well, they're using videos, though, you know. And suddenly the light bulb went on. We said, well, they're video assistant referees because they are match officials. We don't want to change their name just because they're using technology rather than a flag or rather than a whistle. So we kept them as, as a real bond. And that's where we came up with video assistant referee. They're just an assistant referee, basically. Yeah, I, 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 when it first came in for me as a, as a fan, purely as a fan, I've been in stadiums and I've seen it make decisions and take minutes um, to make decisions. And I, I didn't like it. You know, like if a goal goes in and, you know, when it, when it was in the old days, if you like now, and the goal went in and you look for that flag, weren't you? And if that flag were up, you knew, you knew it were offside and, and goal were done. And now you kind of... I don't celebrate as much maybe as what I used to do, but the, the glimmer of hope in that for me is that the, is, is it next season that they're going to be bringing in the one that they're using? Is it in the Champions League, which is kind of semi-automated, so they get the decision a lot quicker, which I think obviously as the technology gets better and better, I think if that can incorporate then something for the people at home and the people in the stands to give an almost immediate kind of onside, offside, and it won't then impact on, on people's natural ability to kind of we all we all go to games to celebrate goals. I think that's why we're all there. Um, and you'll, you'll, you'll give a little bit of, of that back for me. You you actually get to celebrate twice, you know. You know first time at school, yeah. wasn't it? Oh no, the flag's got up. And then when it goes for you, you celebrate again. So you've got a double whammy there. So what's up with you? But um, picking up on a couple of things there you, you, you made. Um, the semi-automated offsides. Yes, we've saw that at the World Cup where. Uh, there's 29 data points on a person's body or a player's body, and they're, they're cal calibrated with the ball. The ball has a chip in it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So basically, when uh, the ball is kicked, it's freeze-framed, and you can see instantly if their play is in an offside position, not committing the offence, but is in an offside position. Will that come into the Premier League next year? Not so sure it will come in next year. They're still doing a, a little bit of work on it. So, uh, but that's something for the future. Again, that's where we're going, and it'll make it quicker. And just to go back. To the point about um, you know how long does it take to, to make the decisions? People have to remember that um, I, I do think we, we need just to alter the way we use VAR, especially in uh, in, in England, um, because we, we tend to go down the line of is the decision correct? And, and the, the, the actually premise of VAR is is the decision clearly wrong? There's a subtle mm -hmm. difference there. Because if it's wrong, then my uh, analogy is that you go to the screen and it jumps off the screen at you. You don't have to look at three or four replays. You don't have to look at three or four uh, angles. It's there. And you think, my, how did I miss that? That is clear and obvious. What we tend to find in, in England, because of, dare I say, broadcasters and, and the public not quite realising what the, the basis of VAR is, they're looking for the correct decision. And if you look for the correct decision, you have to go fault finding. You have to look at every angle. You have to look at everything in slow motion. That's not what VAR is for because the game, the beautiful game, is about subjectivity. You know, as a fan, if you support Everton, you want that free kick. If you support Liverpool, you want that penalty. That's what we want. We want debate in the game. We don't want a clinical NFL yellow flag Let's have a look at the video. And an hour's game takes four hours. We don't want that. But yeah. what we do want is a, is a tool that will help a match official out when he or she misses something 
or makes a real ricket of an error. That's what we want. We don't want to forensically analyse every decision so we have a pure game. Otherwise, so, what are we arguing in the pub afterwards? <laughs> no, I get it. So I just want to lead in to what we asked, we asked Sam Wallace on the other day. And we spoke about the difference between football and rugby, which you've probably heard this a million times. And, and we're on about giving the, the video assistant referee a little bit more accountability. So, you know, like in rugby, the video assistant referee will make the decision yep. opposed to sending the referee over to the monitors. Could that ever be brought in? Do you think that would work? Whereas rather than sending a ref over to a monitor, because uh, uh, obviously they're all um, referees that do it, saying, I've looked at it, this or that should happen. And could that ever come in, you know, opposed to using the monitors? Could there ever be that little little bit of power given to the ones that are watching? Yeah. Would that be a good idea, do you think? Okay, so I'm, I'm not going to say no, because you never know what's around the corner. But but the, the game is, there's a clue in the title. They are video assistant referees. Yeah. They are assisting the match official to, to make the decision. The fans, the paying public, expect the referee to make the decision. If you see a game where uh, an assistant flags for a penalty kick, the assistant's given the penalty But who actually blows the whistle to say, yes, it's a penalty kick? The fans look at the referee, and that's so important to maintain that ethos, maintain that to say that this is the person who gives the who gives the final decision. That's a fantastic I, point. I, I, I spoke to um, a rugby referee when we was looking at VAR, a chap called Wayne Barnes, great friend of mine, known Wayne for years, and I asked him about TMO because I said, well, look, we're looking at VAR. Well, it wasn't called VAR now; it was called video um, analysis or something in those days. And I said, we're trying to implement it in football. If it, any tips for me? He actually said, Pete, he said, don't go the way of rugby. And I said, well, what do you mean? I said, everyone I speak to, said, it's great. He said, no, he said, we rely too much on the TMO now. He said, the referees, for a try that's clearly okay, they're looking back all the time on it. And it's taking an age. It's taking that instant reaction, as you mentioned earlier about the crowd support, out of the game. He said, but the Pandora's box has been opened and we can't put it back in now. So that's why VAR only look at four decisions in the game because we don't want to go down the route of making sure we get everything correct. We don't want that because the game is far more free-flowing and we want to maintain that. So there is, we can learn from other codes and, and we did learn from other codes, um, but ultimately it should be the guy in the centre, the girl in the centre, who makes the decision so that everybody can see the pinnacle point of decision-making. I love that. Yeah, so, I do talking really about cool. decisions, talking about pre-VAR, pre-headsets, probably cloth flags. Can you remember your first ever red card? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, when I remembered them, yeah. Um, let's have a think. Um, Are we talking about a Premier League red card here, or a... Oh, right. Okay. No, no, no. I want. I don't want to know. I think Premier League one would be more relevant for as a ref, opposed to some yeah. Johnny ever on a on a grassroots bit. Right, it might have been a really important one. No, no, no. I, I you know, really? I, I, the the truth is, I can't remember my first red card. I, I just can't remember. I can remember when I first started uh, refereeing. Um, Oh, by I started refereeing for money, by the way. I just thought I'd mention that, okay? <laughs> it, 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 it paid me six pounds on a Sunday morning. I thought I was absolutely rich. That, that paid my beer money on, on Sunday afternoon, that was. You know, that was the whole idea of refereeing. But um, because I played the game, um, 
I didn't used to sort of yellow card people. I just sort of tell them off. Um, and I didn't red card because it never actually got to that. I was really, really lucky as a fledgling referee, really lucky because I refereed locally. I played football locally. And people used to say to me, Pete, what are you doing refereeing? I said, well, I know I packed up playing. So they actually accepted me and my decisions that I gave, you know, clearly some of them were wrong. They seemed to accept it because I was a known figure in the local area. It was only when I sort of go up the ranks that um, I started getting a bit of backlash. Uh, and that's where the red cards came into it. But yeah. I can't really remember the, the first one. I, I can't even, I remember the first year I went through and I didn't book, didn't book anybody. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> you couldn't do that now. So while we're touching on, on your refereeing days, just something I want to ask referees, because I think this is really, really interesting to know. Who was the, the, in your opinion, the greatest footballer you seen up close while you were refereeing? You know, while you're refereeing, do you ever get caught in a moment and go, wow, I can't believe he's just done that? Yeah, that's a great question, because I have. Um, and I've been on the stage... Fortunate with um, some of the world's greats, but I can remember uh, refereeing at Old Trafford and um, Cristiano Ronaldo as a youngster. Really? He had had the ball and he beat whoever he beat, and then he beat me, and then he (laughs) lost the ball in the net. And I I can remember standing there thinking, wow. And then then after you know, a nanosecond, I realized I was the referee. Did you could you tell from from because obviously they've been young then? Did you know he was gonna go as big as what he went? Did, you know, coming off that pitch, you think, wow, he's really really special. There are a number of players on on the field that um, just just have this aura, this presence, this this ability about them, and we all know they are. Um, I can remember doing a game as a linesman in those days, not an assistant, as a linesman. In a, in a Champions League game over in uh, Juventus. Juventus played, I think it was Dinamo Kiev. And at half-time, uh, we came into the dressing room and I think Paul Durkin was the referee. And um, I said to them in a naive manner, um, I said, wow, that guy in midfield for Juventus, is number 34 or something, I said, he's a good player, isn't he? And they all looked at me and they went, you mean... Zinedine Zidane. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know even know who Zinedine Zidane was, you know. And, and, and these these players, they have a presence. They're, they're there, and and I was really fortunate. Stephen Gerrard's another one. If ever, if ever you're in the school playground, Stephen Gerrard's your first pick. Yeah, because, do you know? Because on, he's a lead, he's a leader, and he's so honed in on what he wants to do that you'd have him in any side. I'm a massive red, and I've I've never seen anybody at Anfield as good as him. Never. And people talk about Luis Suarez, and I thought Luis Suarez was great, but I've never seen anybody in a red shirt in my life. Well, I did see John Barnes, but I was really young. I can't really remember him live. But live, uh, I seen him at Anfield loads of times, and you know, I still miss him to this day. I I, I wish he'd have got an opportunity to play under Jurgen Klopp because I think he'd have won numerous titles with Klopp. I, I just I just think he was that good as a player. But listen. Martin, have you got anything yeah. to add? Because I know we're on a time and I've kept the, I've kept watching Clock for Peter. I know we're trying to get stuff in. I've got to say, and I've got to put this out there, this has been my favourite interview by far. And if you could spare us a bit more time at some point in the future, I would love to get you back on with a bit more time. 
Because it's been I've got, a story, I've got a story about Suarez if you want one though. I can't, what, no, I'll, 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 I can't share it publicly, so I'll just tell you, okay? <laughs> oh, don't tell me yet. Save it till, save yeah, it till I cut us off and then you can tell us. All listeners. <laughs> when, when Suarez first came to Lee, I'm sure you'll all know this, um, he had the ability of, dare I say, winning free kicks. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. For whatever reason, he seemed to get a number of free kicks given to him. And we was at training camp, and I think it was uh, Keith Hackett in those days. I'm not too sure. But um, we, we had various videos shown of games and looking at decisions. And he said, look, guys, just be careful, because sometimes you may get sucked into giving decisions that perhaps are, in hindsight, wrong. Um, and I happened to have Liverpool's next game. It was a Tuesday night game. And we're in the tunnel before the game. And Steven Gerrard knew me as... Mr. Ref. He didn't know Miss PT. He called me Mr. Ref. He said, Mr. Ref, Ref. I said, what's up? So he said, all right. I said, yeah. yeah. I said, oh, by the way, I said, tell him. And I pointed to Suarez. I said, he's getting nothing tonight. <laughs> so, so, so Gerard went, what? I said, tell him to stand on his feet. And that was it. That's all I said. And we went out in the middle of Anfield, 40 odd thousand there. The first ooh, 20 minutes of the game, Suarez was probably fouled, probably fouled three times. But the referee is shouting, play on, play on. <laughs> Stephen Gerrard came across me. The game's still going on after about 25 minutes. And I won't tell you his exact words, but he said something of the nature, Pete, obviously knew my name suddenly. He said, Pete, just give him a frigging free kick, will you? <laughs> And I said, right, he knows where I'm, and he said, fine. And, and that was it. And Suarez was as good as gold in any yeah. game I played or refereed in there. And I, I remember that. I did smile to myself. Shouldn't say it publicly, but hey, that's what we did. Yeah, well, that, 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 that goes on. We know what goes on. It's, you know, they tried to get their 1% on us, and we tried to get the 1% on them. But uh, as we said earlier, here we are, the eve of the Champions League. You've got a great gig with BT Sports. Uh, been doing it for a while. Remember last year the Champions League with Liverpool Madrid. Um, nearly every time you're on, you trend on Twitter, and and it's it's such a great. But people in the know see how you do it and what you do. That people, you know, because you have a t-shirt. Let's go to Pete Walton. What is it? What would Pete Walton say of these well, t-shirts? Christ, you know, what a you know when when, when I, I, I fell into this that gig, by the way, and it's fantastic. It keeps me at the cutting edge and. It keeps the grey matter going over as well. So important. But I often say that um, I wish I was wearing a heart monitor. These heart monitors that you strap around you and you record your heart and everything. Because when I sit there, I've got sort of, you know, 12 monitors. I'm looking at, I'm listening to the VAR, I'm listening to the producer, I'm listening to the actual programme itself. And I'm quite relaxed about it all now and, and watching it. But, but I, see the, um, I see the game probably eight seconds before you do. So you're sat at home watching the game. I see it eight seconds because there's a delay in transmission. And it, it, something happens in the penalty area or a handball or a bad foul. And the producer in my ear will say to me, Pete, we're coming to you in three, two, one. And I'm on. And my heart goes through my blooming chest. <laughs> I can't suddenly say live on air, oh, I didn't see that. Oh, I was just having a cup of tea. I'll just show you that again. So it's it's not as easy as gig as people think it is, but it's fantastic. And I'm thoroughly looking forward to tomorrow night because tomorrow night will be the, um, the, the, the actual uh, the, the finale of the season. 
it's a game we're all looking forward to for obvious reasons. Mm. And I just hope, I just hope that you don't see me because if you see me, something's gone wrong. <laughs> oh, fair play, mate. Fair play. Well, it's a great, it's more evidence of how your values in the game as an educator, mate, which I don't think you get enough for. Always fans will always jump on you and say. I just want to yeah, quickly add in. I love the reactions you get of players. Players sat on the sofa on a Saturday afternoon when you do the BT thing on a Saturday. When yeah. you tell them something that even at home, I can see exactly why you said it, and they get mad at you and frustrated. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. it's just telling you how it is. I always find that I'm, I'm not going to name names, but he's got longer. He always gets annoyed, <laughs> um, and I just think he's just telling. He's just tell, you're asking him. He's telling you. He's still getting mad at him. What what do you, what do you want him to do? Uh, which I think I, I think is absolutely brilliant. But look, I'd keep you on here all day, mate. I think you've been absolutely incredible. I know you've got to shoot off to a meeting. I, we all can't thank you enough for coming on. Will you please come back on at some point in the future when you've got a bit more time? I'll block Martin's phone now, so I won't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, it's been a pleasure. See you soon. See you later, mate. Take yeah. care, yeah, Thank you, mate. Thank you very much. How do you need to turn this thing off, anyway? Oh, do you want me to get rid of it for you? I'll do it for you. <laughs> please. Just press anything. <laughs> See you later, mate. He's gone. He's got the lightest swerve I've ever gone. seen from anybody. He's gone. Fucking hell. Can I say that? That was just amazing. That was brilliant. Um, we're still on actually we're still on the show uh, Peter Walton's just gone um, I think we can have five minutes recapping that um, we've had some really good guests and this is nothing against other guests but he came no holds barred yeah. didn't he yeah. tell you anything you want I mean what a guest I, I, honestly I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit blown away stories about Liverpool and behind the scenes stuff and the bit with Ronaldo I love all that because I'm a, you know, I'm a fan and a player before I, be, before I became a chairman and a referee and stuff so to hear that and I'm sure people are out there listening to it and hear them kind of stories and I love that about you always hear don't you about whether the referees do they know about these players are they they treating them a little bit harder because of maybe they've been conned by them last time maybe they got a penalty out of them before VAR came in and they shouldn't have done and I love all that and just even though I'm a little (laughs) fan to do that to Suarez is fucking brilliant Brilliant. I bet he will go in you know what Luis Suarez I bet bet he'll be ready for biting him <laughs> no, it's great, and it, and it's like um, this. I know what he's like. As I said, I knew he'd be brilliant, and you know he, he's honestly he's such a, a top top player. Really, be, and there he is giving us his time tonight. The day before he's begun this Champions League final with BT Sport, arguably one of the biggest games in Europe, and he's he's coming out with the stuff like that. And what's interesting is is like uh, what I touched on with him that little one percent. But what happens is there's, there's a trust element here that's really important to, to, to referees who might listen to this. And, and so us players could, could have a bit of it, is that we'll always have that 1% against each other. Every manager, every player sounds like that 1% better than the other team, whether that's mugging a referee off or whatever. But a lot of referees do the same, and, and I agree to that. We should have. And a recent example of how I felt a bit of referee in the arse was the Paul Tierney Klopp incident, where... Here we are, two weeks after, or them, there we were, two weeks after, uh, me saying, to all the press, we need this space, we need this two-metre space, you know, don't have to be two metres, but, you know, the idea of a space, and there's Paul Tini getting over in um, in, in, in Jürgen yeah, Klopp's face. I didn't, didn't think it was good. But what he said, and then Jürgen got into it and all that, and it got a bit, uh, a bit exploded, really, was Paul said, I was going to send you off. But he said to yellow card. Do you remember that? Yeah. And, and Klopp was going, you, you we're going to send me off. Wait, 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 wait. That's a tactic that's been used by referees. I, I, I would coach that. 
I've been coaching that sort of similar attitude to referees at level three, level four. Because when you've got a line of what a fourth man, uh, in that instance, a fourth, a fourth official, a fourth man, because females can do it too, obviously, is that if, you, if, you, if you've got a line and that line you want you want he's getting a bit of stick. You, you, the lino can say, look, he was going to send you off there, but I've talked him out of it, even though he didn't. Yeah. It's just a tactic to, to get him down. And I Panic reckon situation. that's what was going on. Yeah, I reckon that's what's going on. And a bit of in the arse, a bit really for Paul, unfortunately. Because I do think, I know we differ, I think he's a cracker there. But he was like, I think he was trying to calm things down. I was going to send you off, mate. But, well, you know, he, he was sound, he, he talked me out of it. You better be careful sort of attitude. And it, and, and it turns. So... If players, fans are, are out there saying oh, that's outrageous, you shouldn't um, prejudge refs like Suarez. That's an example that it can work. Yeah. Gerard knew what he was up to, and it's tactics. And when you see that purism of, of refereeing, you know, refereeing, I don't care what anyone says, it's a trade, it's an art form. You need to have school, skills and tools in your box to deliver a game. It's not just about reading the game, it's about reading the people, isn't it? Yeah, Defo, mate, Defo, absolutely Defo. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, when you, I mean, I'm talking about adults football here, but I think I might have said to you, Wayne, before when you first started and, and we're talking about it, and I said to you that for certain ages, the younger ages, I never take cards onto the field with me. I just take my whistle because I think uh, if I've got to produce yellow cards at under-11s, under-10s, under-9s, whatever, I, I, sh- I shouldn't be reffing. I should be able to manage kids mm-hmm. without the threat of... of, of yellow and red cards. I should just be able to manage them because the kids, and I, and I never have. I, in fact, in my, I don't think I booked anybody in my life, actually. Even when I've done under-15s, under-16s, I still don't think, but I am. What I do is, if they challenge me, and, and I'll be honest, if they come up to say, you fucking dickhead or whatever, I'm going to say, were you fucking calling a dickhead? And they're like, you know, they'll be like, they're like, oh, you swore at me. I'm like, yeah, you swore at me. If you could swear at me, I could swear at you. Maybe that's not right. Maybe I'll get struck off a list here, but... Um, I've never I've never booked anybody never and I've never had any serious kickoffs or anything because I, I think I think it's how you manage I have a little bit of a laugh with him you know when they, when they start moaning you're saying oh that's not a free kick you're like come on have you seen what you've done to his leg you know yeah. stuff like that it's just like I don't know. I, I just think that you're right. It's, it is about managing people, Wayne. It's a really good point. Good Rather than just going out there and saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the yellow card. You well, know, that's it. Talk. I was reffing a game last night, and um, you know, under 11s. And Set there was off a three seven year olds. No, 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 no. Oh, no. There were a tackle. This kid fell over, and one uh, opposition come running over to me. He said, That's a yellow ref. And I looked at him and I said, You're 10 years old, and this is a friendly. I'm not producing any cards tonight. Well, Move so on. So he red carded him. <laughs> oh, parents cheered me. Wayne's turning into the voice of reason on this podcast between us two friggin' nutters, isn't he? Yeah, Always yeah, goes mate, out with comments. Mate, it, it literally is, mate. Because we have a we have a committee chat, chat at our club, and stuff happens, and I go raging, and I mean raging like on verge of smashing my phone, and I'm I'm already doing this, and I'm already doing that, and sometimes they'll ring me up and they'll say, listen, just. Calm down, have five minutes, you know, chill out. And it, it does pull me back down because I, I do need, I'm very much, I react and then think. Whereas, I, and then sometimes I'll react and I wish, I wish I'd have thought but first. So now I, I can't, the committee is really good for me because I can really vent in there. And then that kind of filters me out before it goes to whatever next stage we decide to do on whatever 
whatever the issue may it's be. Usually, completely the opposite to what you say is going to be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I do, I do, I, I do react. That's my, that is my problem. It's been my yeah, problem. He's a common influence, as are we. And one of the things I wouldn't mind before we wrap, wrap up is, um, I agree with him about Goodison Park. You know, you know what he's saying about Everton's grounds. Oh, it's phenomenal atmosphere. Unbelievable. Underrated. You never it's really. It's not get as good as Anfield, but it's it's a phenomenal atmosphere. Well, it's like I would listen. I was in the street end that day when we beat them five 0 Rush scored four. I was in the street end, and 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 because I, I said earlier, I'd be relatively pleased with Everton. I love that song, by the way, mate. I have that song on most weeks. Do you? Absolutely. I love it, mate. And he, um, and I always loved it. I've been there for other games. Like they've had England to under 21 games there and stuff like that, and when memories getting built or whatever. But and no one you remember as a, as a kid as Sabutio, those younger listeners might not know. They had a Sabutio pitch, it had four tower floodlights in each corner. And there's Bath City down here, it's got the same sort of ground. And there's that floodlight porn is just that's football for me walking yeah. up to the ground. And Everton's ground now they're going to be moving to the King's Dock with the zoo, and that looks a great stadium. But you know, he's right about that, that Everton fan and Everton there stadium. I think I think it's a quality atmosphere, quality uh, stadium. You're right. You're right about the stadium as much as um, obviously I, I have a bit of banter back and forth. We Everton fans that I know, so obviously being a Liverpool fan, but I've been to Goodison Park and it is it, it is and it's a good atmosphere. That, and and you look at it sometimes, and I think for me, I can remember when the terrible ownership of Jicks, Jicks Hicks and Gillette were in at Liverpool, and the, they were all about building that stadium out of glass. Can you remember it, Martin? And yeah. I'm like, no, no, just just stay stay where we are, redevelop it and build it up. And I'm so pleased they have because I'll give you the prime example of moving stadiums from my hometown of where I am. And even though I'm a massive red, I used to go and watch Doncaster Rovers oh, loads. Yeah. And I mean loads. And Bellevue was the, the biggest shithole you've ever seen in your life. I mean, it really was. I mean, it, it, it were horrendous. But the atmosphere were unreal and you go and watch a game now at the Keepmo or Eco Power or whatever they call it these days and even if it's full it doesn't create nowhere near the atmosphere that that, that uh, Bellevue did and I think that you, the, the grass ain't always greener and and I mean that with stadiums and I know now no, they're trying to build there. yeah well yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I know, that's so different <laughs> I know they tried to build these stadiums now and they tried to get the acoustics right, but I don't know. There's something to be said for old stadiums and, and, and mm. the, the atmosphere that they create. I think the lower ceilings and how it projects the... Uh, or the lower roofs and how it projects the sound out. But yeah, there's loads... Like, I can't believe I'm going to admit this as well. I know I, I hear on, on, on people talk about how Old Trafford's falling to bits. I, I've been to loads of games at Old Trafford and I think that's a good atmosphere as well. Yeah, I agree. I'm there this weekend. Oh, yeah, you went to the... Yeah, the um, soccer aid this weekend. Yeah. Oh, soccer aids. Well, yeah. normally, Mark Clattenberg referees that. Yeah. And, and last year, he sent me a video and the shirt he wore, he signed it, to raffle for UNICEF. But he's he's not doing it this year. So I don't know who's refereeing it this year. I'm not sure who's refereeing it this year. I'll, uh, and I've, I'll find I've out and let you know. Keep that quiet. No, I, yeah. I think I know. I think it'd be great for that game. You should get it. Mark Halsey. I think it'd be perfect for that game. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if he's still well enough to get about, about you know... Was challenges he's had, but and he's over in Spain, I suppose. But he would, he would be, he would be, he'd be good to get. To, I think Jeff Winterwood came back. Sending them all and have those conversations live. Jesus Christ! Aye. Imagine what he would say. He'd be brilliant, wouldn't he? Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Imagine what he'd say. He wouldn't stop. Uh, I know, I know. Well, listen, tomorrow Champions League. Are they going to do it? Is City going to do it? Uh, 
I I think they are. I think they'll be just absolutely too good. But um, my heart of hearts, I hope they get hammered. <laughs> well, listen, <laughs> you said that. You did say that, didn't you? Yeah, I said, they, I said they, they beat Man U, and then they get... I hope they get beat by it. I don't think they will. I think, look, at some point, the money that they're spending, they have to win it. If they don't win it, then I can rip them forever more because of the money that they spent. But I just don't... I don't see... This inter-team's not even that good. They shouldn't even be in the final. That semi-final, by, and I watch nearly every Champions League game. Right, I'm, I love it. It's my favourite. None of them two teams should have been anywhere near that semi-final. It should have been Napoli from that side all the way. Um so I think they will they will be ripped a new one on Saturday night, and I think I honestly this, I'm putting this out there by the way. I'm not sure what the biggest margin is, is a Champions League final. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm I'm going to put this out there that if City turn up, it could be the biggest margin in a Champions League final history. That's what I'm saying. You heard it from Rousey. Wow. Well, listen, I'm a, I'm going to go. Um, not going anyway. Yeah, I've got to wrap this up. Yeah, wrap us up then, yeah, mate. I'm going to go. It's 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 a. Uh... It's Friday. It's sunshine down here in Western Supermare in Somerset. Yes. I get my Friday pint on a Friday. All right. Later, five o'clock. I'll be there. Looking forward to everything. And I um I just hope the city fans have a good day. You know, it's a great experience going to the Champions League. It? And the, I just think it'll be a uh, hope they enjoy it. Hope they're safe. We don't have any yeah, knobheads. Safe. Yeah. Florentine. We hope um, Florentina all the shit they did. Oh, the ref match officials get home safely. They don't have the experience that Anthony Taylor and his family have. Absolutely. And just everyone has a safe game and a safe journey. So, yep, yeah, absolutely. Second that. So, as we wrap up, um, this is going out there tonight, actually. So, oh, brilliant. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've got some work to do. Um, so, while you're enjoying your pint, I'll be slaving away getting this ready. Anyway, um, we're going to wrap up this week. I know you've heard us talking about Jeff Winter, Sam Wallace. That's because we've done an interview nearly every day this week on a podcast. They're going to be coming um, very soon. You don't want to miss them. Um, Sam Wallace and Jeff Winter, they're, they're lined up. They've already been recorded. We're going to put Peter out there tonight because obviously he does the Champions League final tomorrow and we thought that'd be pretty irrelevant getting him on. So, um, lastly to say is remember to subscribe. We're on YouTube. Uh, we're on Spotify. We should be on Apple Playlist. We'll be on Google Playlist. We'll be on Podchaser, Podbean, all the, all the different platforms that provide your podcasts. We're everywhere. I even think we're on Alexa now, so you can ask for at the ref pod. We're also on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. We're also on Instagram, and it's growing nicely. So make sure you um, like, subscribe, follow, whatever you need to do, and it's all at the ref pod. All one word, at the ref pod. Come and follow us. Come and find out what's going off. I might do a little video later on just to uh, recap on the week on our Instagram page just to give you an idea of how mental my week's been. From uh, not really speaking to many famous people in my life to speak to four in one week. Four in a week, I know, it's it's insane. It's a bit too much. I'm already feeling a little bit diva-ish, you know. So, um, you two, fantastic. Enjoy your weekends. Cheers, boys. We will see you all on the next episode, which will either be Sam Wallace or Jeff. See you soon. Bye, guys. Bye.